All right. So uh, this is the first uh, episode. Marissa, how do you feel? You're my first guest. Everybody, this is uh, the first episode of a new podcast uh, called Classically Untrained. I'm your host, Justin. Wow, that sounded so cringy to actually say that out loud. I'm your host. And here with me today. Oh, actually, you're the host? Yeah. Okay, well, you can be the host and I can be the guest. Let's just do a role reversal on this thing. I mean, it'd be the same practically. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so I have my guest today is Marissa Marmalejo, and uh, she's from San Antonio, Texas, as I am, too. We basically grew up together musically, and we went to the same schools forever. I've known Marissa for about 57 years, and uh, yeah, it's been great. I think she wouldn't agree. But uh, yeah, Marissa, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Hey, thanks, Justin, for the introduction. That was fantastic. Um, So I, like Justin said, am from San Antonio. However, I now live in Denton because I've been studying music for the past 10,000 years of my life. Just kidding. Uh, five years? Yeah, five years. Uh, Graduated from UNT with a BA in music, general music. Um, and now I'm studying music therapy and should acquire the bag, aka the master's degree in approximately two years, maybe. Two years, yeah. So music therapy is a little bit longer of a degree plan. It's not like the performance track, which I'm on. Um, yeah. So Marissa, what are your pronouns? I think we should, we should normalize saying that in these things. Pronouns are she, her. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, so Marissa's here. And um, yeah, this podcast just is something that I've wanted to do for a while where we talk to students and it's, it's student-based. Uh, more often than not, you'll see podcasts that are professionals talking to other professionals. But more than likely, you don't know the listener doesn't know who either of us are. And that's kind of the cool thing about this is that you may not know who we are, but by the end of it, hopefully you'll know our stories. And that's where I want to get, what I want to get into is each of my guests sharing their experiences as a student, especially as either, a, you know, a student who's either a person of color or a woman, because I feel like there's different experiences than, at least in the music world, than if you're white. And so we're going to get into that today. But first, Marissa, why don't you just tell me about, like, I don't already know, but why don't you already, why don't you tell the audience here about your early life, you know, uh, early musical mentors, like, how did you start playing flute? What made you start picking up music? Right. So I was fortunate enough to have a father who was a musician. Um, He played trumpet throughout high school and um, carried that into his adulthood um, as a mariachi. Yes, why don't you explain to some of the audience what a mariachi is? Right, so uh, mariachis are are like traditional Mexican musicians um, who sing classic traditional oldie Spanish music at anything you could possibly imagine anything you could party, possibly imagine all the parties should have a mariachi anyways um side note so, folks there when she says anywhere we mean anywhere anywhere 
during the the first part of the pandemic just a side note these mariachis would drive around in trucks come out outside of their truck play to people outside of their houses and then get in the truck and go up the street to the next house that had paid for it that's just a little side note like they, they are everywhere honestly it's pretty incredible how they've dealt with the pandemic um, yeah but yeah so um growing up i listened to a lot of uh, latino music a lot of um not just latino music of course like just all kinds of music my dad was a super diverse uh, musician and listener of different musics so um yeah it started there he introduced me to that i fell in love with music inevitably um and later down the line around 11 years old uh, i picked up flute in sixth grade and mr and mrs beasley shout yeah, out if you're shout listening. out to mr <laughs> mr beasley miss beasley our homies um but yeah so i wasn't very good at it at first and then I started attending, stop. No, I really wasn't. I couldn't even make a sound. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but. I hardly my, remember. <laughs> I was drunk most of the time in middle school. Right, yeah, those <laughs> were years for you. <laughs> those were, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> so uh, I started going to a jazz band camp um, and the director's name was Mr. Irving Moore, but we all called him Sir because we respected him and feared him so much. Um, and he was an incredible, incredible teacher to me. Super challenging. He would drill me and make me cry, but it really made me the musician that I was and that, well, that I am, but the flautist that I was. And, you know, what's cool about this is I, since I've known Marissa forever, I remember this, you know, I remember talking to you on our little flip phones, you know, you had a phone that you could throw off a roof and it wouldn't break. Actually, it would break and you could put it back together. Shout out to Nokia. But uh, I remember not, not, you. Not, a, not an ad. Not, not an, an ad. ad. Not an ad. <laughs> no free clout. Uh, but I remember you talking to me about this and being young and, and being frustrated like why like why is this it's this is so hard and you would cry like I remember you would call me sometimes and be like in tears and um you know I bet that that was really tough and in retrospect the fact that you see that as like this discipline I think is it's really great you know so what would he what would a typical day be like at this jazz camp for you so um majority majority of the time it was intense we started the day with music with an etude or an excerpt um they were like not what you would think of in classical terms not an excerpt or an etude but like they were different like it was from an old book so they were classic like old tunes um for beginners because that's what we all were and so and so sorry you're frozen for a little bit um it was intense. It was uh, all day. And we had to play these for him so many times before he passed us on to the next one. And then finally, lunchtime was like the biggest break ever where we could actually breathe and rest and have fun. And then the second half of the day was the same thing all over again. Just it was we were on 95% of the time. 
Yeah, and, and it's important to note, like, so where was this at? Where was this program based out of? Okay, so the program was held at a Catholic school called St. Margaret Mary's. It no longer exists, sadly. Oh, I don't know. Right. If you know yeah, because, I, yeah. Because of funding, they just didn't have it. For those of you who aren't familiar with the demographics of San Antonio, the South Side, um, which is, is where we grew up, which is where we grew up. Yes, correct. Uh, is definitely the less wealthy side of San Antonio. Um, of course, more people of color in that area too. So it's, it's pretty, pretty much, yeah, it's pretty much the area we are, we are from, uh, is pretty much just, uh, you know, Latinx and black uh, citizens. The, the way that San Antonio is kind of split up is it's a big circle, right? Like a, a real big circle. And on the north, 1604, on the, on the northeast side, and then on the north side, you have like a lot of more affluent white communities, such as Alamo Heights, uh, Chavanaugh Park. Uh, so you have those schools and that, that community up there that are more, and that's where all, a lot of the uh, private schools are, St. Mary's Hall, uh, TMI. So then with the east side, that's a historically black neighborhood. The west side is historically Latinx, Mexican specifically, and the south side is also uh, Mexican as well. So we're kind of in the southeast side, so we get kind of a mixture of mixture of both. And it's uh, it's interesting too because Marissa and I were a part of this organization called San Antonio Youth Win Ensemble, and I think I speak for both of us when we say when we say we owe our like musical lives to this group, we mean it. Like we, oh boy, this group started in 2010 and it was based out of St. Philip's College, which is the westernmost um, historically black college in the country. Fact check me on that. But it's, uh, it's a school that was founded uh, as a weekend sewing class for six black women and slowly it evolved into a college and now it's a community college located in the east side of town um, in a historically black neighborhood uh, and it's this experience for us was life-changing uh, you know we had uh, we had two instructors for it they were the conductors Mr. Albert Aguilar and Roderick Leonard. And Mr. Aguilar was uh, kind of an older Mexican man. I, I shouldn't say old, he's, he's, like, he's like in his forties. If you're listening, oh, I'm sorry, but he's not old. And then Mr. Leonard was uh, like about the same age. He was a black man. And, uh, <laughs> they were very passionate about starting a program for uh, Win Ensemble. You know, you had the Youth Orchestra of San Antonio, which we'll get into later, which was way out, very far away from these communities on the east side, on the south side, um, and even on the west side. So say we was located, if the city was here, or if this is San Antonio, Yosa was located over here, but say we was located like in the middle. So we had this opportunity. And, you know, Marissa, you were a founding member. You know, you were, you remember Aguilar passing out flyers for this organization at one of the region band 
thing. So why don't you tell us about how you how you came into SAVI and what your initial thoughts were, you know, going through the program. Right. So yes, so that's exactly how I found out about uh, SAVI was at a region concert. He gave the flyer to my parents and I thought, mm, maybe I don't, you know, sounds cool. And my dad basically said, no, you're going to audition. And so I said, okay, let me go audition. I auditioned and I got fourth chair and that was not, bad considering I was in eighth grade and I was competing against high schoolers um, from all over well yeah all over San Antonio and um, I learned an immense amount that way that first year in say we I didn't even know how to read about like upper ledger lines like I didn't know those notes and I I thought I was I was afraid I actually wanted to quit my dad did not let me, <laughs> of course, thankfully, I'm, I thank him for that. Um, and so I learned, you know, I forced myself to learn. And it took me, it didn't take me as long as I thought, you know, because I was so young, probably. Um, and then, yeah, so I came back the next year and uh, I got first chair. I, and I stayed in that position for the remaining four years that I was in the program so yep you I remember that you know but when we were in middle school and you started doing say we I remember you were like oh my god like this is so much I mean we were playing you know in middle school we were playing hot cross buns and Marissa was over here playing to Kelly and we're, some Mackie correct, pieces correction correction we were playing Alvin and the Chipmunks on the kazoo we were oh my goodness i forgot about that the kazoo part wow that just like triggered some like deep synapses right now but you know i remember you having this kind of like hardcore training for a middle schooler i mean we would show up you would show up what on saturdays i think say we was held saturday mornings three hour rehearsals of just going and aguilar was intense like he he was so gung-ho like there was never a moment there was never a dull moment with him you know he was always like you know more more you know like I want this energy I want this he was always about the energy and he was always yeah. so passionate I can't recall a time where he was just all right well you know I don't care you know because mm -hmm. he was invested in us he was super expressive too I had never seen a conductor conduct that way you know I mean I've I was just amazed. Like that made me fall in love with music even more. So I'm super thankful for that experience. For okay. sure. And I mean, he, you know, it was interesting too. Uh, like quick note, my, my say we audition, see, cause after seeing the kind of, you know, uh, meat and potatoes that Marissa was having at this at these say we rehearsals she she got like her musicianship was like this I mean she was pissing off people in high school because she was coming into ninth grade getting the flute solo and marching band which like you know for those of you who are listening and didn't do marching band that's kind of a big deal uh <laughs> it's it's you know that she was like the star of the flute section and a lot of people were always on your ass about that and so I was like, I want in on this. Well, I wasn't quite the musician Marissa was, uh, especially back then in ninth grade. So I showed up to say we to my say we audition and I cried. And uh, I played uh, for those of you drum corps folks out there. I played the uh, Cavaliers exercise Sharton. 
I actually didn't know that. Did you really? I did. I That's did. Impressive. That's actually kind of impressive. I had no idea what I was going to play. And I was shaking. And my mom was like, what are you going to play for this audition? Oh, I'm driving you over here. And you don't even know what you're going to play, do you? And I'm like. <laughs> okay. What Justin's also not mentioning is uh, that he also played guitar and. Yeah, and, so did yeah. every eighth grader. No, <laughs> you were good. Stop. Uh, whatever. You, I mean, you were good. Anyway, so I was crying. <laughs> I was in the room and I was crying. And, you know, I remember Mr. Aguilar, he, he, he asked for the most random things. He was like, okay, all right. I played Sharton and I'm like shaking. And I, I was able to do it. But it's like, it's a drum corps warm up. Like, that's what I played for my audition. And then he's like, all right, I want to hear some rudiments. And I was like, Okay. And he just, first thing he said, do a pat of blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> I like just straight up was like, yeah, do a pat of blah, blah. He had a rudiment sheet. He was like this. He was like, mm, pat of blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> he, he just, and then I think I did, so I think I did it or something. Cause I had, you know, I would always look at the rudiment charts that we would have in like middle school and high school. So I kind of knew it. And he was just like, Cool. like he was just like nice that the pat of fla was the way in so yeah then i got into say we too and uh i was i was not as fortuitous as marissa to be principal right off the bat uh but i became principal and was principal percussion for a few years and that was a great experience just working with i mean i still have some friends from there from that percussion section you know we were all and I think this goes for uh, your section too, Marissa. We were all from the inner city-ish schools. You know, we were from the low-income neighborhoods. I think the majority of, of students in that organization were from the west side or the east side. Um, there were very west few. Side. Yes, outside. There were very few people from the northeast side and the north side, I think. Would you, sit, would you agree? I agree. There was also, there were a couple of homeschooled students where I don't know how he found them but I think uh, region as well I, I know who you're talking yeah. about it was overwhelmingly the lower half of San Antonio yes yes and which is you know interesting because uh I think the the type of things that we would do as well for uh for that organization I think really at least they affected me we would play a, uh, a whole concert of, you know, Black history music, mm -hmm. uh, like a Black history concert. Um, and then we would, we would even perform uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing at, Which a, at a lot of concerts. A phenomenal experience for me personally. I fell in love with that tune and I want to listen to it every day when I wake up just because. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. And it's, and, you know, we were playing a lot of, uh, Aguilar was always trying to push us, you know, in, in what he, in what he did. And I think for me personally, seeing a strong, like, you know, a, a Mexican guy in this lead, you know, somebody that looked like me because, you know, I didn't really have teachers that were, you know, like, you know, Mexican. It was a lot of like, especially like once I got into university and onward, like you don't, I didn't realize how good we had it you know, with, with this, like this ensemble of mainly lower income uh, students with a black and Mexican two conductors, you know, and you know, what's e even better, like Aguilar didn't care if we paid, 
you know, the tuition was really cheap. It was like 180 bucks for the year. I shouldn't say really cheap, but, you know, considering some other things in this field. Mm -hmm. And Aguilar would always welcome us. You know, you could show up to rehearsal and be like, I'm broke, dude. And he'd be like, all right, well, just come on in anyway. You know, it was an open door policy. You know, you could walk in from off the street, pick up an instrument, sit down, and Aguilar would welcome you with open arms. And I yeah, think I remember, actually, I remember, I don't know if it was all uh, five years because towards the end there, people started joining and he had to create the two groups, which was incredible for that organization. But at the beginning, I do remember him telling us, hey, invite your, fr oh, do you, you have a friend who plays flute too? Yeah, bring them to rehearsal and let them sit in and, and play with us. And that experience was really cool for it to be just that casual, but also like to be a very serious ensemble. Yes, but yes, because, because no matter who you were, like Aguilar would say, I, I remember this too. He would look down at people and be like, who are you? And then <laughs> they would introduce themselves and he'd be like, great. And then it was right back to business. He would expect nothing less from them. You know, it was like you'd come in and he would expect you to be at the level. And if you weren't at that level, by the end of that rehearsal, you'd be at that level. That, mm -hmm. That's for sure. You know, he would demand so much of you that it was it was contagious. You know, his musicality was uh, he was always striving to be better. And I and I know that rubbed off on, you know, on both of us. And, you know, it even kind of it's sad because, you know, say we really isn't around anymore for many various reasons uh but you know compared to like you know marissa you never joined yosa but i decided you know i want to do this as a career percussion and i wanted to play in an orchestra i hadn't played in an orchestra really i had uh one experience playing in an orchestra and i wanted more so i went and auditioned at yosa and it was a completely different story you know the the groups where I, I didn't have a teacher at that time and everybody would ask me, oh, who are you studying with in the symphony? I'm like, you can study with those people? Well, <laughs> you know, like it was it was totally new to me. I'm like, I, I didn't even know- Private lessons? Private what? lessons, you know, like how much is tuition for this thing? You know, and, you know, thankfully, shout out to my parents. They've always been very supportive of, of what I've done. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was different. You know, uh, it was at the, it was on the other side of town. My mother had to uh, drive, you know, 35 That's, minutes. Where was it located actually? I'm not sure. At UTSA. So the University okay, of Texas, awesome. San Antonio. And uh, she did it, but you know, it was tough. You know, sometimes she'd have her stuff to do and she'd be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, your stepdad's going to take you today or, you know, grandma's going to take you. It, it was, it, it takes a village, you know? And uh, I just remember it being very different. The, and not the, to mention, I mean, it, it was inconveniently located. Let's be honest. Yosa should have been yeah. in the center of the city. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, an another thing, too, is like wind ensemble music was is so popular here in Texas. For you mm -hmm. non-Texans listening, it is the bread and butter here. But it's there's a disconnect. There, there, there wasn't a lot of these... You know, at for a school like Johnson, which is one of the best schools in the state, it's located here in San Antonio. They were playing like wind ensemble music, and that was their bread and butter. You know, at contests at UIL, um, where they would play their you know concert band pieces, they were playing like Mackey. Uh, they were playing some high level to Kelly, some Bryant, uh, but none of them were really coming to Sewee. You know, it was it was almost as if, and I I know I've 
heard some people say this, that like, it was in the bad part of town. It was in the ghetto. And so, you know, ultimately what Yosa did was they started their own win ensemble. I don't know if you knew that, but I they, didn't know that. Yeah, wow. they did. And I was always kind of a little salty about that, not gonna lie, because there was already a good win ensemble. You know, Sewi was good. And now they had this other win ensemble. And I did a few rehearsals with them. And I, I was not, this was way back when, I don't even know if they still have it, but you know, it just goes to show you how different the orchestra scene is from this, you know, community win ensemble that we had. There's a lot, there was a lot of gatekeeping in the orchestra field in the, even in the youth orchestra here in San Antonio, which isn't even a big orchestra town. You know, it was hard to get to. It cost a lot of money to do it. I didn't feel welcomed in terms of like, the people I'd talk to, you know, I made a few friends, but it wasn't like say we, there wasn't that camaraderie, uh, you know, but both of our experiences, they wanted, we wanted more, you know, so we went into undergrad for music. So you went into flute performance at uh, North Texas. And That's yeah, right. so how was it, what was undergrad like for you, just in a broad sense? Well, I was definitely shocked when I got to the area and um i was shocked by how incredibly insanely skilled and prepared that a lot of my colleagues came in because i was not i came in to unt not even really wanting to do performance i chose it simply because i wanted the challenge and i I thought it was it would be more challenging than music education, which is not the case, I know. But at the time, that's what I thought. And I went in, I was studying with Dr. Clardy. Um, for those of you who don't know, she's been in the, she's been teaching since 1984, I think, like the mid 1980s at UNT. And- um, Our friend's mom, our mutual friend's mom even studied with her. She did. And she was a huge reason, a huge factor in why I was interested in UNT. Once she told me all about it and how it was a really challenging place. And um, of course, one of the most profound music schools in Texas and the US, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to try. And I did. And um, yeah, so I studied with Dr. Clardy for I believe a year and a half or a year. Um, and that's when I really started to realize that, um, I don't know. I started to realize that I wasn't in love with just the flute. I was really in love with music as a whole and seeing how my colleagues were super dedicated and, and just like, they were working so hard on their flute music and that's it. Like they wanted to be these like incredible orchestral flutists. I know I realized I don't want that. I wasn't even really competitive anymore at that point. Because I was like, this is not for. So um, after that year and a half, I started exploring and looking into music therapy, which is what I was, which is what I do now at uh, Texas Women's University. And I switched to a Bachelor of Arts in music so that I could study a little bit more outside of the College of Music. Um, 
that degree plan allowed me to study a lot of psychology. Um, it allowed me to study Spanish. I got my, uh, I got a Spanish minor and a psychology minor. And so I felt like those last two years at UNT still, of course, like I was still taking a lot of music classes as well, but it was more like ethnomusicology and um, other music classes that I felt were actually helpful to what I wanted to do. So that, I had a great experience at UNT. Um, there was definitely a huge gap, again, once again, between me coming in with no, no prior music lessons, nothing like that. And everybody had had music lessons. Everybody had already studied, had at least had one lesson with Dr. Clardy, which by the way, costs like, two hundred dollars for an hour a lesson like how is that how you are in in just instantly alienating low-income students right there you are basically saying hey all you poor kids i don't want i don't want you to take a lesson with me or even worse you're saying i'm worth the investment and you need to invest in this or else it's just just like strong arming and you know um would you say though at unt did you feel like you know, you, I, I find it interesting that, that you switched, that you switched, you loved music, but, and most people would say, oh, well, if you love music, then just stay in performance because you like music, right? However, did you feel that the performance track was unfulfilling musically, like the 100%. classes and, and what you were doing? Yeah, 100%. I felt like I was learning about things that for what I wanted to do in music was not helpful. It was so focused on just performance majors you know that not even if you want to be a band director in texas it's not even a helpful what what what, exactly and what does what exactly are we learning here like i can do roman numeral analysis and (laughs) and show you what a alberti base looks like and yeah figured base but it's like where's the where's the jazz classes where's the Mm mute the the pop music classes where is their classes teaching you how to listen to music how to uh, write about it how to understand it just incorporating those into music theory classes you know instead of it all being analysis of classical pieces why can't we compare some of that some of those forms to popular song forms so that we can make actual connections in our brain oh I get it now and it's not just like oh well this yeah, you know, because these you know. theorists, yeah, and these theorists, they say, well, we're going to analyze a Beatles song every two months and then think <laughs> that they're doing they're doing a good job of analyzing this popular music. It's like, no, that's not how that works. Never once did we really go over, like, hip-hop or anything like that. And I think that it's, you know, there's a problem there that at least, the, the, at the very least, it's that this music curriculum that we have set up is just not fulfilling to people who actually love just the just music, you know, who want to be immersed in it. You're not immersed in it. You're kind of slammed up against this classical wall and are like, this is what you're going to do. This is what's important. And, you know, I, I'm sure you probably felt that. I know I felt that, you know, in my undergrad at, at UT, you know, I, I felt that it was the same. And I think a lot of you all listening will probably agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I was so excited to take 
ethnomusicology because I was like, oh my God, finally I can listen. I'm learning about other cult, other the music of other cultures around the world, which was super informative. And I wasn't, I, we ended up, I think they ended up adding a popular music class at UNT. That's really excellent from what I've heard, but I didn't have the chance to take it. I did have the chance to take jazz history in place of, um, I forgot what the upper level music history classes were but I was like can I please take jazz history and they let me and I'm so thankful for that because it was and it was I mean the content was amazing like it was it was great that's good yeah and you know we should have these I mean jazz is American you know it's it's it's, it's the most American music it's more out American than classical music that's for <laughs> damn even, sure yeah, damn. even even just saying that is so funny you know but um yeah, and would you say, I forgot to ask you this before, but how did you kind of feel like different being like a, a student from like, because I felt this and maybe you did, being like, you know, either a first gen college student or a lower income, you know, you went to school with a lot of people from the DFW area and, you know, talk about hoity toity. So, <laughs> so would you say that you felt a little I guess misplaced maybe when you got there. Yeah, thank you for asking that actually. Um, yeah, I am a first generation college student. Uh, my parents never finished college. They got some college experience they never finished. And so throughout the entire application process, even like I was on my own, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just, I was so anxious and so scared. I told Justin um, recently that I didn't even think I was going to make it through college. And same I, here. Yeah, I didn't think I was smart enough. I I genuinely believed I was average and that when I would get to college, everybody would be so much smarter than me that I would fail. And so, and when I got here, honestly, it was, it's crazy to look back on it now because yeah, there were so many people who's grandparents had degrees and I that was like it's still so crazy to me that blows uh, my, my mind I it, don't even I can't even process that people's grandparents had degrees when my parent my grandparents were like hunting to my, feed their children yeah my grandma was picking cherries at, and didn't finish sixth grade you know it's like yeah. and your grandpa was a what a doctor are you kidding you're you're shitting me you're shitting me dude and it's like <laughs> It's like, no, man, my grandpa was a doctor. And before that, his dad was a doctor. And before that, his dad was a doctor. And before that, they came over on the boat from Europe. And I'm like, wow, well, cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, our grandparents just crossed, the, uh, it, <laughs> they just swam across the river and got here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. No. It's, for real, it's, it's crazy to me. But yeah, so you did feel a little like, ooh, you know, Oh, these, I'm, yeah. I'm out of my element, you know? I did, yeah. I felt that way. And I, w I had really great friends. I met really great people, half of which, um, half of whom did were first gen also, which was really interesting. I'll talk about that in a second. And the other half were not first gen. And so we learned a lot from each other, you know? Um, but I also found that really interesting that, I found a group of friends that were extremely diverse. My, one of my friends was um, Mexican 
from San Antonio. Um, my not other friend, me, was, by the way, not yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not very specific. His name was Fabio. And um, another one of my friends was Asian American and she was from El Paso. She was first gen also. And my other friend, Lauren, she, uh, she wasn't first gen, but she was from the DFW area. And we like, that's super diverse, an Asian American, Hispanic, white. And we also had a Vietnamese friend. Sounds um, like a start of a bad joke. I know. I swear. I swear. It's crazy. And I'm uh, still not convinced that that's Fabio's real name. Fabio, if you're listening, I don't know you, man, but I'm, come on, give up the, give up the act. That's not your real name. Your real name's not Fabio. No, just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, you had these, you had these diverse friends and yeah, I'm sure they helped get you through it. But, and what I want to know too is, you know, what was the experience going from this performance? How was it getting into music therapy? So I, okay, so I didn't go immediately into music therapy, right? I, I had to finish those two years as a general, general music in my general music degree. And those were really challenging because when people asked me what I was going to do, I said music therapy, they would ask me, what is music therapy? And I had no idea because it's, it's a very complex thing to define. Um, when people ask me to this day, what is music therapy? I have to come up with the definition based off of whoever I'm talking to. And that's the fun, the most fun part. There's so much improvisation in music therapy that, um, you even have to improv definitions for it too. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the transition. I, um, I was lucky enough to find a program that's within 15 minutes and I decided my time wasn't over here in Denton. So that's how I ended up at Texas Women's University. And um, yeah, so it's my, I'm in my second year now, which is kind of crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, we're old, you know, and so you've been in Denton and, you know, let's be frank, Denton, DFW, these are all very much white areas they're the majority white. I mean, there's a town in Fort Worth called a white settlement. Yeah, there <laughs> so, is. That's true. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, and, you know, have you experienced any of, you know, other feeling, feeling of other uh, in Denton, like any, even if it's any, you know, snide remarks from people or jokes or. Absolutely. Um, it started, I mean, as soon as I, as soon as I moved here, um, I was treated a lot differently than my, my white colleagues. And it was very clear that it wasn't just me because like I said, I had other uh, minority friends that told me the same, that they were experiencing the same thing. And so when I say that we relied on each other, we really did like, thank, thank God that I had them because I really felt different. And um, that wasn't just in education, even in my job, which I worked at UNT as a student worker in an office and- um, Answering phones, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I answered, hey, I did a lot more than that. Come on, I know, man. I know, but man, I, I never got to call you and, and, and prank call you. 
So yeah, you what's up with that? Come I, on. I know I'm slacking. So you worked in an office. At I, worked, I worked in the office of the dean for the College of Music, and um, I they were all fantastic people. But once again, I found myself in a position where I was the only minority. Well, I was amongst the minority. Like it, there was like two of us, maybe. And um, I felt not so, you know, they didn't treat me poorly. They didn't treat me differently. It was more so just noticing it was amplified that I was like, unlike them, especially when they talked about their experiences in higher education. And I was just here, like in my second year, like what is going on? And so that wasn't obviously it didn't end there. I currently have a position where I'm also the only minority amongst, you know, amongst this company. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting place to be for sure. Yeah. And, and would you say, you know, that there's like this, a, a mask you have to put on, of, you know, no pun intended with COVID, but like, of you have to act a certain way, maybe act like more, you have to act it as so they don't see that you're not white, you know? Yeah. Um, we yeah, call it professionalism, but let's, let's unpack that a little bit. One of the biggest things is how I dress. Um, I always dress like a little nicer than I need to, you know? And it's because I don't want to be looked at like, oh, this poor, you know, girl, like, which, yeah, I am, I'm broke. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Same. But, but, you know, I, I present myself. I want to make sure that they know that I'm, I've worked hard to get where I am and I'm strong and independent. And I've been taking care of myself for the past five years. I'm not just some lost little, little, you know, Mexican girl as which I've, is- I've been called before, you know, by, by some people that I have worked with. And so it's, you know, it's like, it's completely shocking, but it's not even shocking anymore. At this, how, at this point, yeah. How yeah. quickly I can code switch too, you know, it's crazy. Like when I'm, when I'm here and well, not really with TWU because um, I'll get into that later, but TWU is a minority majority school. So I feel like super like I can be myself for the most part but at UNT I man I think that definitely contributed to my identity crisis that I had because I was just like I don't belong here I have to act a completely different way so I was just I was so lost I had no idea who I was like where I fit in in my culture none of that like it was it was a mess yeah, and, and it's, it's, you know, this is something that I think a lot of our, uh, you know, minority viewers will relate to is this uh, code switch, you know, having to dress, you know, a certain way or speak a certain way, you know, um, it, there's, a, there's a standard standard of professionalism in the workplace, but what it's really disguised as is, you know, you have to act white and you know, you, you were talking about TWU and let's just get into that for a bit. So music therapy, like what's next now that you're in grad school and you know, you're the end's not quite on the horizon or anything, but you know, what's, what's it like? 
you know, what are you doing? What are you up to? Right. Uh, so like Justin mentioned earlier, I, this program takes between three and a half and four years. And it's because we have to take several um, semesters of practicum. We have to take four semesters of practicum with different populations. And practicum? What, that what, is, what, is, what is this practicum here? Practicum, it's basically a class where they teach you how to chew gum. Oh, now, okay. That's uh, what I thought. But. <laughs> Close, but actually it's, um, it's working with different populations, either developmental disabilities, neurological disabilities, um, in hospice facilities, geriatrics, and um, so many other, there's so many juvenile detention centers is, is, where I'm, is where I'm working next semester. So that's exciting. But anyway, so we have to um, gain some experience with different populations before we can enter our internship of six months. After that internship, I come back do a little bit more school, defend my thesis, and I'll be done. And hopefully I will find a job wherever they'll take me. I, I don't, I really don't have any set plans right now. I'm, I'd be happy to move out of Texas for the first time in my life. For all um, you employers watching, you music therapists with your own practice, yeah. hire this one. She's the one right here. I can vouch yeah. for it. Yeah. So do you have a population maybe that you want to work with? specifically or do you want to have your own practice I know some music therapists who are employed by a school district I think that's really interesting you know so what if you had a dream scenario what would it be right. so my long-term goal is absolutely to open my own private practice um, of course there are so many things I have to do to get there before that and so um, you know as far as which population that I want to work with, I really have only had, I've worked with developmental disabilities so far and neurological disabilities, um, but I haven't had much experience with adults um, or with mental health. That's something that I think that I'm interested in just because um, it's something that I relate to and I have a personal experience in. Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards mental health with adults. Um, and that's my short-term goal is to find an internship where I can work with individuals who have uh, mental, mental health disorders. Of course. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. And so why don't you lastly, just kind of tell us what are some things, what are some of the ways that, that you help uh, a client? Uh, like treatment ways, because we all know what, what therapy is, you know, where you sit and you talk and you unpack your, your issues that you're having, but what's it like being in a music therapy session? Right. So, um, well, unlike verbal therapy, music therapy kind of replaces, you know, having to speak about how we feel because so many of us either are terrible at it or just don't want to, or don't even know how we feel. Um, but, you know, a lot of us can relate to music and can express ourselves through music. And that's why music is therapeutic. There's no argument there because there's, you know, there's a right way to facilitate a therapeutic musical experience. And so 
basically what music therapists do are we work on non-musical goals um, through different types of interventions. And those interventions are all either uh, reciprocal, they can be compositional, they can be recreative or improvisational. And so depending on the client after they're assessed and after um, you know, we, we get a good idea of what goals we want to work on with them and what objectives, that's how we come up with a session plan that's going to be, you know, it's a process. Therapy is always a process, right? It's not just one session and it's like, all right, you're done. You're good to go, buddy. Go of out course. into the world. No. Um, so yeah, you know, we, depending on whatever the diagnosis is, we work on things like we can work on, we can do gait training with a physical therapist, which is a lot of what, um, you know, we work with other types of therapists too, physical therapists, speech therapists. Um, wow. So there's you know, like kind of an, uh, there's like a lot of uh, yeah. like overlap and yeah, there's a lot of collaboration because, you know, we need to know what else is going on in that patient's life, you know, so that we can also take that into consideration while we're working with them on whatever goal we're working on. So and it's, so Oh, sorry. So it's cool because, you know, music therapy kind of, it seems to take a, take its place in a, in a, like an overarching kind of holistic treatment for somebody. Whereas like, it's not trying to parade around as this, oh, you know, just do this and you'll be fine. Like, it's like, no, this is part of a, a bigger picture here. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That was really great, Marissa. And uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our viewers before we go? You know, that was so great what you had to say. Yeah, um, I think that for anyone who's listening, I just want to say I hope that, you know, I hope that you were able to relate to our experiences and found at least some of the things we talked about interesting. Uh, I hope, there, right? There are a lot of students like us, Justin, that I feel like really, you know, weren't as fortunate as as we were, you know, and we we were fortunate in many ways. Yeah, and for so sure. For anyone who's listening who would like to reach out, I'm always happy to talk to anyone about whatever it is about um, about being a first gen college student, about music therapy about flute I mean I get no I'm just kidding I still love flute so that's definitely you love flute. you'll always love flute. music as a whole if you just want to talk about your music and show me music I love being shown new music everybody just drop your soundclouds yeah <laughs> soundcloud rappers if you're listening uh, <laughs> you <know. laughs> but no that's that's good and you know um everybody Marissa is is really great you know she's she's a great person to talk to a uh, very good listener. You know, she wouldn't be going into some kind of therapy if she wasn't a good listener or cared about people. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, on this episode of Classically Untrained. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been great. It's been, it's been amazing. And I hope that you have a nice night and everything. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much.